0: Boston Loose Baseball, episode 80. We will give you the latest on everything going on with the Nats team that has won five straight series as they're now north of the border at Rogers Center in Toronto, taking on the Blue Jays. Episode 80 starts right now.
1: Bust- Bustin' Loose Baseball, hosted by Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer, gives you in-depth analytics and interviews on everything baseball in the nation's capital.
0: Now, here's your host. Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer. This is Bust and Loose Baseball, episode 80. Toby Altizer alongside. I'm Grant Paulson. After a few pods in a row where there was a lot of news and a ton to get to, we're kind of back to the regularly scheduled season here. Things have cooled off in Natsville. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like last
1: week, just every single day, there was something going on. And then this week, it's like, what are we going to talk
0: about? <laughs>
1: you know, like, There's plenty to talk about, obviously. But it, compared to what we talked about last week and coming out with a pod, it seemed like every day last week, It', it not as much pressing stuff to hit on this week.
0: Yeah, I mean, the fact is the team's playing well, so that's still a big topic of conversation and something we can and should continue to be covering. But uh, the Nationals obviously won another series, and as of going back to Saturday night with their win, uh, 11 of 14 and 16 of 21, so that's now 11 of 16 and 16 of 23, and they'll look for a sixth consecutive series if they can get the next couple of games against the Blue Jays after a loss at Rogers Center today. We're taping the pod after the game on Monday night. It was yet another disappointing start for Josiah Gray. We can get into the fact that it's been a little while since Josiah Gray really looked the way that he was throwing early in the season when uh, he would really turn the corner and, and made some major strides. I'm not going to be one of the folks that I see that constantly you know, bash his out. Uh, his outings when he, you know, he had six one hit innings two starts ago. So even though he walked some guys and pitch count was high, when you allow one hit over six innings at Yankee Stadium, I'll take that. That's a pretty good start, and we'll we'll worry about the rest as we go. But today was not that he really really struggled. So we can get into that. But I thought we could start with our big leads here. So why don't you make like C.J. Abrams take a big lead? What's your uh, burning Nats item? I feel like we've
1: talked about this a bunch, but we know that Davy Martinez has signed up for the next couple of years, but why in the world are we still waiting on something for Mike Rizzo? I mean, we've already gone into this in depth, so we don't have to again, but we both would stand on the table for Rizzo, not as much for Davy Martinez, and yet Davy's the one under contract for the next couple of years, and we're still waiting on something for Rizzo. I, you know, I think that something's going to get done at some point and probably in the near future, but... I mean, it gets a little unsettling when you think about the fact that you have an ownership that at times can get a little bit cheap. You know, you hear the connections with the White Sox, even though it's probably not going to happen, but it's still something. I mean, it's just a little concerning that at this point, where, you know, a couple weeks passed when Davey finally got his extension, and it was supposedly close at that point with, with Rizzo, and now we're sitting here. And Rizzo still doesn't have something. So, you know, again, I don't think it's anything to be too, too worried about. But it is still noteworthy, in my opinion, that, you know, as much as we can break down some of the some of the guys coming up and different things. But ultimately, I think the most important thing that could happen in the next week or so is
0: getting Rizzo signed up for the next couple of years. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm not concerned. Like, I still do think Rizzo will be here, as I've been on record saying. And I feel better about that now, even than I did when we did our last pot at the end of last week, only because some of the smoke around the white Sox has died down a little bit. I think it was Bob Nightingale who came out and reported was one of odyssey's baseball insiders that, you know, Rizzo would be getting his deal soon or that, you know, the deal was essentially almost in place and had to be finalized, but that was a few days ago. Nobody's corroborated that nobody's confirmed that and and nothing seems to have come since. So I don't know what to do with that report, but I, I would say that uh, I won't worry until you hear that Rizzo and the White Sox have talked or the Nationals have given him permission or you know someone reports that that Rizzo and the White Sox are, is a legitimate thing which we really haven't ever heard I mean it was some dot connecting from Barry Sferluga, who was on our last pod uh, we've had some folks speculating John Paul Maros, who we referenced said uh, that he's heard from baseball people that Rizzo to the White Sox could make sense or there could be interest which is very different than like this is an actual possibility based on the two sides, you know, having already uh, tried to speak, and the Nationals having been asked permission, which would have to happen, obviously, uh, if he's going laterally, president of one team to another. But yeah, the fact that nothing's happened yet, I get why that's a story. Uh, my big lead's going to be Jacob Young getting to the major leagues. Uh, just turned twenty-four years old. He was in AAA for about a week. He got bumped up to AAA from AA Harrisburg the day that Dylan Cruz got sent to double a from Fredericksburg, just to give you a little uh, perspective on the time here. It's another sign of the nationals not really feeling like triple a work is necessary to get to the show. I think they really value the double a experience. It seems to me like when guys get to the two, a level in their system and prove that they can succeed that they deem them major league ready. We saw Juan Soto, as an example, called up from double A, never got to triple A. We've seen some other guys, even some that went to triple A, who have played a lot more ball at the two A level as prospects. Uh, And Jacob Young's kind of the latest example. If you look at his minor league track record, where uh, in 2021, he played 25 games in Fredericksburg after being drafted. Last year, 2022, he played 115 games and he, he played all of those games at Fredericksburg Low-A. So as of the start of this season, he hadn't played a single game above Fredericksburg. Think about that. And then he played 55 games in Wilmington and 52 games in Harrisburg, and he had played four games at Rochester at AAA, and they called him up. Uh, he's already done some decent things. He obviously scored a run as a pinch runner in the instrumental comeback uh, that they had against the Marlins over the weekend. He's over his first six at the plate, but he's hit. Three balls over 95 miles an hour already. He's hit a ball 100. He's hit a ball 97. So he's made some loud contact. He's getting his bat on the ball. He's only got one strikeout in those six at-bats. So it's not like he's looked overwhelmed by any means. And he also made a really nice diving catch, a sensational catch in center field. So I think he's made his presence felt a little bit. You can see the profile here. It's speed and defense. He's more of a slap hitter. He doesn't have a whole lot of power. He's the kind of guy that'll benefit from the way the baseball flies now in, in today's day and age with the velocities and and uh, the strength of these players and all the training they've done for so many years. You know, it's hard to find guys at the major league level if you play regularly that don't have 10 or 12 home run power. So that's kind of the floor for a, an MLB regular. And if he becomes one, that's probably where he'd be. It's, it's not a power profile. His arm strength's a little below average, although he does have a lot of outfield assists because he's very accurate. But... He's one of my favorite players in the system, as I've talked about for a while, Toe, because he's just a hair on fire baseball rat type. Um, I, I've kind of viewed him for a while as like a fourth outfielder, like a, a rich man's Alex call for the Nats this season, so to speak. Um, but I really, really, I mean, it, it, that's going to sound almost like worse than I want it to. I, this guy could steal a ton of bases and play really, really good defense. He's got a couple of plus attributes. And in talking to some people around the Nats, they think it could end up being better than that. Like they think there's some Adam Eaton to him possibly when it's all said and done. So I'm really excited to see what kind of chance he gets for the rest of this season.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you can definitely find a place for guys like Adam Eaton on a baseball club because obviously Adam Eaton was a big part of the World Series team and specifically in the World Series. And so, you know, this is another example, Jacob Young, even Drew Millis coming up in this Blue Jays series and traveling with the team for a third catcher with Caber Ruiz, a little bit banged up. It's it. This is another example of how the nationals farm system has grown. You know, there weren't these kinds of guys to call up because, you know, maybe these guys end up being just guys that float between triple a and the majors. If there's injuries and various things like every organization has, but sometimes you bring up one of these guys, Grant, and they just pop and they just hang around. And it may not be that they become an impact bad or, They become an everyday player, but Jacob Young, if he can become a fourth outfielder again, I like the idea that you have so many people in the system that you start making Mike Rizzo or whoever the general manager is, hopefully Mike Rizzo going forward, you know, make them make decisions, whether it's trading guys or figuring out who you want to keep around and all the different things you have to do make them make difficult decisions. And a guy like a Jacob young, if he can come up and just hit somewhat like he has in the minors and steal bags and play good defense, that's a guy that can play a decent role on a ball club, even if it isn't every day. And again, another guy that you have to make a decision on when wood and Cruz and hopefully Hassel and green and all those guys come up. So I like the fact that we're talking about these kinds of guys and, I like the fact, too, that they're taking this approach. They're not getting ahead of themselves and looking at how they've played since the All-Star break and thinking, oh, we've got it now. Let's, let's chase something else. No, the ultimate goal this season still is to play the young guys to see what you got. And now with the opportunity with Stone Garrett going down with an injury, bringing a guy like Jacob Young up is the perfect example of what they should be doing. You know, they gave Blake Rutherford a chance, didn't really pan out. Now you give Jacob Young a chance and see if he pans out. You know, it's not to say that Rutherford's done and he's never going to get another chance, but, you know, he kind of had squandered his opportunity. Now give another guy an opportunity that's really hit the cover off the ball in the minors all year long, a 300-plus average, stealing a lot of bags. So I'm interested to see him. I'm interested to see Drew Millis, but I love the fact that you have the scrappy Nats, but now you got the youth movement coming with it.
0: Yeah, and the youth movement, I think, gets you to the finish line the rest of the way. I don't know if they continue to play at the pace – that they have, you know, going into the last couple games, uh, on pace for 75 wins. As I said last week, I'd probably take the under with a regression coming, but that's okay with me. And I'm I'd rather regress, giving some opportunities to guys uh, like the aforementioned Jacob Young or uh, Drew Millis, as an example. You know, I'd rather Young be playing than Alex Call or you know any other veteran outfielder who might get an opportunity. Uh, not named Lane Thomas. But one thing I want to say about the guys that are getting to the big leagues right now from the system, because I think it's important to note this for people that might not track the system as closely as like you and I do. These are not the really good prospects. You know, these are not the blue chippers, the the, the best in the system, the guys that we rave about. I believe Jacob Young just got onto MLB Pipeline's top 30 a few weeks ago in terms of where he ranks in the minor league system for the Nats. Now I happen to think they dramatically undervalue him and I would have ranked him a lot higher. I would have had him closer to the top 10 to 12 or 13. Like I said, I love this guy uh, more than most because I really like, you know, the fact that he's an impact runner. He's an, he's it's a plus runner plus defender and kind of just a championship level um, spark plug as an extra outfielder or maybe a distant third outfielder if your other two guys, you know, Cruz and Young, uh, Cruz and and Wood rather, become really, really good. But what's happening is you're seeing the guys that were kind of already in the system that were like, I don't want to say uh, the reason the system wasn't good, but maybe the best players in a system before it improved, now starting to graduate and get to the show first. Those guys were already here. They've moved to the upper levels. So, you know, Jake Irvin's not a high-end starting pitching prospect, but he was the first guy to get there, and he's actually exceeded some expectations, right? We've talked a lot about Jake Alou this year, who has done some decent things getting his chance at third base and now in the outfield moving around a little bit. I don't know that he's an everyday player. I think he might be a version in the infield of what Jacob Young is in the outfield. Um, Drew Millis is not a starting catcher, probably. You certainly hope he's not with Gabriel Ruiz in the future, but he could definitely be a second catcher, you know, a guy that ends up having a role for this team for a long time. Uh, and who knows? I mean, maybe the ceiling's a little bit higher than that for him. But what I do want to point out is to the credit of Rizzo and, you know, the guys that never get credit behind the scenes. I mean, even before Deshaun Watson, but like the Mark Shalabas and, and uh, the Mike DeBartolo's and some of the front office folks over with the Nats, some of these prospects that no one thought anything of that like were ranked badly in a bad system are not doing terrible. You know, some of them are having nice bounce back years or doing some decent things despite not getting any fanfare right now. Jake Irvin in the major leagues has been a success this year. You can start to wonder. uh, I don't know if he'll be in the rotation long term. You certainly hope not if things work out with other guys, but he has been better than you think. You look at Mitchell Parker, who's coming into his own in double a and has been nasty. You know, he's been in this system for a few years, not getting much fanfare or attention. I don't know if you've been tracking Mitchell Parker lately, but I mean, he's had some really impressive, good starts. And now he's, you know, got a four ERA and 103 innings and 124 strikeouts. And he's pitching in the upper minors. And he's starting to look like if he can throw strikes, like he could be a dude at the big league level. And his last start in Harrisburg was pretty eye popping. Um, You're you're in double a and you go out and you throw eight innings of three hit ball with nine strikeouts. Like that's the real deal. Uh, It was only a couple starts ago that he threw five shutout with eight K's before that six innings and three runs with 13 strikeouts. So these are the guys that weren't, you know, that, that were here before the trade for Soto and like all these prospects got here. And you're starting to see them get better and elevate themselves because this is what happens in systems where you create competition and they start to see the really good players come in and what it looks like. And And I think it's been good for everybody.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're just seeing that the guys that are coming in, they're pushing these other guys and you're drafting a little bit better and everything's just kind of clicking right now, it seems like, with the farm system and to your point. Jacob Young, according to MLB Pipeline, is the 30th-ranked prospect. Drew Millis, the 23rd-ranked prospect. But these are the kinds of things that happen when you have a good or at least a better farm system than what the Nationals have had over the last couple of years, where you get some young guys that can come up and give you something. Like Jake Irvin wasn't anything special, like you said. And now he looks like, okay, maybe he can be a part of the future, whether it's in the rotation or in the bullpen. You know, you give Jacob Young a chance. Maybe he's a guy that shows that he can be a defensive center fielder if you need him to be, or if you want him to be your fourth outfielder, a base stealer off the bench, whatever the case may be. You know, a a Jake Alou, those sort of things. Seeing what these guys can do, because pretty soon, they're going to get edged out by the James Wood, the Dylan Cruz, the Brady House, and that's a good thing. But you also have to have some of those role players on a championship level team. I mean, guys like Adam Eaton were big on the World Series team. You know, there's guys all throughout the roster that you need. So seeing these kinds of guys to fill out a roster are important because look at what the Padres have done. You know, when you think about how they've gone, they've just built up all the star power, but they don't necessarily have a good 26-man roster. They have a good top 10 maybe but they don't necessarily have the deepest roster and that just doesn't work with how baseball works that's why we love the game is because it takes so many people to be a successful baseball team so this is a really cool thing to see for the nationals where some of these guys are doing so well in the minors you give them a chance of the majors see if they do well or you know if they don't it again it's not that big of a deal but it's a it's a boon to the rebuild every time one of these guys comes up and does well so I'm rooting for Jacob Young rooting for Drew Millis and any other
0: of the young guys that come up Long gone. so let's talk Josiah Gray uh, after another tough start you mentioned you wanted to get into him um, <clears throat> he is now at 26 starts he made 28 last year and he's about 11 innings away from where he was so He's going to end up being, I would assume, right at or a little bit over after two more starts, the innings that he pitched last year, meaning he hasn't thrown deeper into games on average. There's two reasons for that. Number one, uh, his pitch efficiency. Like tonight, the two innings cost him a chance to be five, six innings ahead of last year's pace. That was his shortest start of the year. Davey yanked him at 60 pitches. Uh, But he, he just... There's been plenty of starts where he goes five or really very rarely very five, but you know, six innings and he's done, even though he's throwing okay or he hasn't given up many hits or runs or what have you because of the walks or the pitch count. I think the other part of it with Josiah Gray, though, is you know, he's still they're still babying him to an extent, not as much as they are maybe Gore or other guys, but he's not really allowed at 93 pitches most of the time to go out for a seventh inning or you know, an eighth inning like he would be a couple years from now, ideally. So I do think that always needs to be mentioned. Uh, Having said that, his ERA has gone from five to 3.85. That's misleading maybe in in how much progress he's made. His fielding independent pitching last year was 5.86, and right now it's 4.91. So it's come down by uh, about a full run. But obviously a FIP, meaning what his ERA should be, being 4.9 is is not overly encouraging. Uh, We talked a lot. Around the all star time, that you know, his numbers were slightly skewed, and then the peripherals suggested a regression. Um, we've seen his strikeout rate this year go from about 9.3 per nine to 7.8, which is not ideal. Uh, his walk rate has gone from four to four and a half. That was before this start, where he had four walks, I think, in a couple of innings. Uh, the one big difference, obviously, for him positively is that the home run rate has come down. He is A little bit more hittable this year than he was last year in terms of hits per nine. Um, The whip's up because the walk rate's up. Uh, And, you know, you look across the board, you know, a lot of the numbers other than ERA basically are a tick worse than they were last year right now. So a couple things. Well, first, I guess, let me ask you, like, where you're at, kind of big picture on JoJo and your thoughts right now on what you're seeing. I mean, the
1: reason that we're starting to see some of this stuff is we're seeing a lot of the same stuff we saw early in the year, Grant, but the reason he was so exciting early in the year is he would walk the tightrope and then get across it somehow. You know, He'd get out of every jam. He'd have bases loaded, one out, get out of there unscathed. He'd have second and third no outs and somehow only give up one run. Those sort of things were happening. It seemed like every single outing, with the exception of a few, and so, when he goes into the all star break and he's an all star and all those things, it was awesome. But that's why we were a little bit cautious and said, you know, maybe there's a little bit of regression coming. You looked at some of the advanced numbers and they didn't necessarily like what he'd done in the first half. And then you just watched the eye test and, you know, he'd found a way to get out of some of those crazy situations. Now he's getting into the same situations he did in the first half and he's just not getting out of them. He's giving up hits. He's. Walking more guys, whatever the case may be, but he's just not getting out of the same situations that he built himself into in the first half. And so you're starting to see those numbers kind of go back to what, you know, maybe the numbers had said. You know, this is why when we talk about Gore and we talk about Gray, Gray probably slots in more so as a middle of the rotation type of guy because he's got decent stuff. I wouldn't say it's great, whereas Gore has great stuff. You know, Gray, he has to battle every single time out. And I think if this were a team that had the luxury of contending and we in a spot like maybe the Orioles or something like that, where you're pretty much going to the postseason. I think this is a time when you would consider skipping a start, you know, and seeing let's see if we can figure out what's going on. You know, they're talking on the broadcast and maybe he's battling some mechanical stuff that got back into some bad habits or whatnot. Maybe that's something where you could consider. Let's, let's give you a week off and see if we can figure something out here to kind of work with stuff. But I think the way they're looking at it right now is let's just let them keep battling. The results are going to be what the results are, but ultimately this is his second year going through a full major league season. Let's just get him through that experience. We'll figure all the other stuff out later on, but, right now let's just get him through and you know show him what the grind fully is again and make sure that he can deal with it and that's why you're seeing them be extra cautious as well because it's only the second time he's gone through this full grind so i don't necessarily hate that approach but i think it is interesting and something that maybe once you get to september and you get that extra guy on the roster an extra pitcher maybe you consider i I wouldn't say skipping a start because you got so few left when you get to september but maybe giving him an extra day off or something of that sort.
0: I think that's not a bad idea, honestly. I think that's a sharp point by you. I mean, last year he was a minus .7 win player. This year he's been worth plus one and a half wins in terms of just sheer f War. Um, I, I still, you know, I point to 18% versus 11% in terms of home run fly ball last year. Uh, so you know the the idea that a lot more of your fly balls left, eighteen or nineteen of them out of every one hundred last year, were going out, as opposed to eleven this year, is a good thing. Uh, ground ball percentage has gone from thirty three percent to thirty nine percent. Here's what I would say: it has been a disappointing major regression here, really, since the All Star game and obviously the All Star break itself. Um, you look at his numbers in August, a ERA of 8.8 in five starts is brutal. You know, 19 innings, 20 hits, that's normal. 19 runs is not. And I think it's because he's got 17 walks. Like, let's not overcomplicate this. He's walking too many guys right now. He's walking about a batter per inning in five starts this month. So there is something mechanically amiss. His average against right now is not alarming. It's 260, which is not dominant or where you want it to be. I'd rather it be where it was early in the year in the 240s. But, you know, he, he gave up a much higher, uh, not much, but a higher batting average against last month than he had an ERA in the threes because he wasn't walking guys and he was able to make pitches when he needed to. Um, I go back to April, though, in six starts when he had an ERA that was two and a half. May, when he had an ERA that was three, when he was keeping people in the ballpark, he was making quality pitches in big spots and, and still feel like this guy is... Um, you know, a third type starter uh, as an upside or a fourth starter, maybe. Uh, I've seen, and and I I hate referencing just what I see, you know, Nats fans tweeting about, but I have seen this narrative lately. And certainly as he was struggling tonight uh, with a lot of Nats, you know, Twitter Adi saying essentially, oh, this is a fifth starter, you know, or this guy, I'm just not sure. Even one of the uh, accounts that is in my like for you tab all the time, because they do a lot of, Minor league tweeting, and I think they're pretty good, pretty sharp. They're like, I'm not even sure. I, I wish I remembered which one it was. If it was like next gen Nats, or, um, you know, who 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 it was, might have been them. But they were like, I'm not even sure if this guy is in the, you know, plans long term here. Like, I think that's silly, right? Let's let's not be overly reactionary here, okay? Let let's relax a little bit. Let's reel it back in, and let's just. Look at it as it is right now. He's walking way too many guys. Now, in fairness to whoever's going to point that out, he's always walked too many guys. Like if we're being honest, it's been four, four and a half per nine for much of his career. So that might just be what he is. But there's a big difference between four, four and a half per nine and eight or nine per nine like this month in the last several starts. So I think that's kind of where you got to see the first adjustment. He's got to throw strikes. His batting average against has never really been a problem. He he doesn't give up a ton of hits. Uh, it's it's a very normal amount of hits for a guy that might be you know third or fourth or whatever in a rotation. So uh, that to me is the key. Is just is he throwing strikes? Is he getting ahead and minimizing base runners? Because there's going to be a very normal amount of damage done by hitters if there's not a bunch of dudes already on base via walks.
1: Well, and part of me wonders if, you know, he's working with so many new pitches this year on various things. It just seems like Charlie and Dave were talking about this on the broadcast when he pitched tonight as we tape Monday night. And Kbert Ruiz just didn't know what sign to give him because he didn't know what pitch he could throw for a strike. And the problem with Josiah Gray, as opposed to some other guys, is, you know, his fastball, you would think, okay, he can locate the fastball and he can – get back in the strike zone. The problem last year was the fastball. He threw the fastball more than ever, and all of a sudden he gave up more home runs than ever. So he can't just go back and say, all right, I need a strike here 2-0. I'm going to throw a fastball. Well, chances are that's going to get hit hard somewhere. So he has to work with his slider. He has to improve with command with some of those off-speed pitches and other things I think he still needs to find that perfect pitch mix that works with him. That's something that they can definitely probably prioritize in the offseason, whether it's continuing with the cutter and finding a sinker and working with the sweeper or a curveball, obviously the slider. I, I think that's something they're going to have to work with because, like you said, I mean, this is kind of how modern baseball works, where in the old times it was let's throw a fastball 60% of the time. And of course, when you throw, a pitch that doesn't move a whole lot it's going to be easier to put it into the strike zone that's not the case with modern baseball especially with josiah gray where his number one pitch this year in terms of usage is his slider and so that's something that if he's not able to control his slider that's his best pitch in terms of avoiding barrels well if he can't throw that and he has to throw fastballs across the plate well then he exchanges the walks for hits which You know, last year and at times this year have left the ballpark, and so it's just a tough spot to be in when you're looking at Josiah Gray. I think there's still a lot of potential there, but there definitely does need to be some work on his command because, you know, to guy's credit, if if he's not if he's going to continue to walk this many guys, and you're going to look at a you know championship level team in a couple of years. That's not really acceptable for a guy that's hopefully going to be your third starter. But, you know, again, I think it's a little overreactionary to think that he's not going to be at least your third or fourth starter going forward. And I still think that he can be a championship level third or fourth starter.
0: 236 average against expected batting average against, which might even be a better metric. The curveball, right? A, A 186 XBA and an actual 162 XBA, you know, against his sweeper this year. So I, I don't know, man. I, I just I don't think this is like people are saying I don't, I don't see the stuff. Like I, I just we're looking at different things, I guess. I mean, he's got plenty of stuff as a big league pitcher. You you don't get out of the jams. He does. If you lack like it's exactly. not luck over 25 starts. I'm sorry. Well, in, you know, his throughout the minor leagues. And you don't become a prospect because you don't have stuff. Right. Like he just threw six one hit innings against the Yankees. Now, I'm not telling you that was a great start, by the way. It wasn't. It was frustrating, and and a lot of these have become tough watches. But, like, you know what you don't do? You don't, in Yankee Stadium, go out and throw six one-hit innings on a night when you don't have it while you're walking five and dealing with uh, players on base all night because you lack stuff. Like, that. this is not a stuff issue.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing because when you think of guys with stuff, I mean, just thinking about his counterpart, Mackenzie Gore, you can see him blow a fastball that looks like it's hittable right yeah, by that, a guy.
0: That's front of the rotation stuff. I don't know that anyone's no. And that, that's since we've seen JoJo that this is like a number one or a number two.
1: That's what I'm saying, though, is JoJo is an interesting one. I don't even know that TV, for us, we can pick up how good his stuff is because you watch his slider and you're like, that didn't move that much, but it's subtle. It's something that, Hitters just don't hit his expecting batting average against his slider is 252 or 267, though, compared to the fastballs. Things like that, like you were saying, where I don't know that his stuff translates as much as we usually see from some other guys. When you think of the elite pitchers and you watch them like, I don't even know how any of these guys ever hit. That's not how JoJo is. His stuff is very subtle, it moves, it's it, it doesn't move as much as other guys. When you look at his sliders profile compared to other guys. It's not something where it's sweeping way off the plate. It's something that's very subtle and moves just a little bit down and avoids the barrel. So, you know, he's never going to have the stuff where when you watch on TV, you just walk away and go, wow, that dude is filthy. But at the same point, if he can go out there and be effective like he was earlier in the season where he's missing barrels, getting ground balls and keeping the ball in the ballpark, I don't need him to be filthy. He's got the stuff to work at the major league level. It's not going to be at the level of – elite hall of fame level pitchers that you get used to where you watch Scherzer and you're like, that's nasty. You watch Strasburg's changeup. That's nasty. That's not Josiah gray, but if he can continue to be effective like he was early in the season where the slider doesn't look filthy on TV, but he's keeping the ball in the ballpark and getting the ball on the ground and getting strikeouts.
0: I'll live with that. Bang zoom. CJ Abrams, three stolen bases tonight, three hits. Two runs, three steals. He's got 37 now on the season. I saw a stat from Matt Weirich of NBC Sports Washington. I think it's age 22 or 23 or younger, 90 years worth of baseball. He's one of six guys with two, three steal games in a season, as he did it again tonight. Uh, We have talked ad nauseum about the splits. I think it was nine steals through his first 77 games, so now it's you know 28 steals over just ridiculous yeah his last 25 games or you know or i guess it'd be a little more i'll do the math in a second 30 some games but uh well so i got his last 30 in front of me he's got uh 17 swipes so you know it's closer to 45 or so games that he's done all the the damage here but my god i mean he since the moment he started running he, he just you can't throw him out and there was a little while where everything was close and it would go to the the review and He'd be called out, and then he'd be safe afterwards. Like recently, the last couple of weeks, I don't think anybody's been close to throwing him out. No. He's getting better jumps. He's showing a cerebral, you know, really savvy approach. That, that he's he's picking better pitches to run on, but I think he's also getting better jumps. He's reading pitchers better. It's just been cool to watch him grow as a base runner.
1: Yeah, I mean, to your point, when you say seventeen steals over thirty games. That's a pace of 91.8 stolen bases, so 92. I mean, that is absurd, the amount of bases he's stealing. And it seems like every time he gets on first base, he's stealing second. And so this is kind of where I'm at with it, Grant. I don't necessarily need to see the slug as high. I know you'd like to see it higher and having extra base hits, hitting the ball out of the ballpark. But if he's going to steal bags at this kind of rate... Just find a way to get on first, and it turns into a double. I I don't really care how you get on, whether it's a hit-by-pitch because you're hugging the plate, whether it's taking your walks, whether it's just slapping a ball between the shortstop and third baseman. I don't really care. Just find a way to get on first so you can get to second. But the crazy part about C.J. Abrams is you see times where you think about Yankee Stadium and that series, and all of a sudden he's just – yanking him over the wall and pimping it at home plate and standing there still to this day like that too. Right. He's got all the swag and he's got power. I mean, if you watch this guy hit, he's got power. So you'd like to be able to see it kind of tapped into a little bit more, but you know, I just want to see him consistently go through the rest of the season like this, because, you know, he's going to end up hitting probably somewhere around what 18 to 20 homers and stealing close to 50 bags I mean, that, if you would have told us this season that his stat line at the end of the year, whatever it may be, just assume 18 homers, 50 stolen bags, you know, batting average around 250, I think we would have been obviously happy with the counting numbers. You would have wished for the average to be a little bit higher. But I almost think the way that this season has gone, Grant, it gives you even more hope where he started a little bit slow, you kind of saw flashes in the first half, and then Right ahead of the all-star break, he gets put in the leadoff spot, and he's a totally different guy. He's the guy that you traded for. He's the guy that was once a top-five prospect in all of baseball, and now you're seeing it. So I feel like it almost gives you more hope the way this season has gone because basically since the all-star break, this guy has been a totally different player and looks like the future leadoff hitter for this baseball team for you know for this foreseeable future.
0: Yeah, so I did a little bit of a deep dive into some of the splits for him this year. But I want to say first that he, well, he's cooled off quite a bit since that first tear when he got moved up, moved up to the leadoff spot. And, you know, August has been a much more pedestrian month than July was. In 43 games in the leadoff spot and about 180 at bats at this point, I think, he's still hitting about 290 with a 790 OPS. League average, last I checked, was right around 720. Um, so it's a, a 340 on base, just about it's a 450 slug. So you know, that's a pretty good baseball player since he's been moved to the leadoff spot, not an all star or anything. But when you add in the stolen bases and the fact that his defense has been so much better as well, did have an error, dropped the ball in foul territory, kind of lack some concentration tonight. Uh, but big picture, you've been watching these games, you know just how much more consistently he's been playing. But what I noticed when I looked up some of his splits uh, today, first thing was that he every player is going to be better when they're ahead in account. But I remember one time I had someone who uh, was in charge of player development in a big league system tell me that there's certainly young players uh, that basically really thrive and just get into – when they get into hitters counts, it's like a whole different world, right? When they're ahead in the count versus when they're behind in the count, and they're players that kind of thrive on confidence. Now, I, I don't know. This is anecdotal, but it just feels to me like CJ Abrams from what we've seen defensively, when the game starts speeding up and he has those errors, they compound on each other. When he's going well, he gets in these really hot stretches and you know, he's admiring his home runs. I think this guy really is a, you know, he's like a feel guy, right? He if he feels confident, you just see what it looks like. But when he's ahead in the count, it's a 1026 OPS with a 333 average. When he's behind in the count, it's a 175 average and a 472 OPS. Again, I understand it's like saying if you eat more fast food, you will be fatter. I'm a testament to this. (laughs) But I think that's a bigger discrepancy than you'll see for a lot of guys, right? Uh, The other thing I'll say is, and this is the more interesting split to me that I found, was I knew that left on left had been a struggle. I can't tell you how many times I'm watching a game. And I see he's facing a tough lefty, and I'm thinking, "Ooh, that's a you know it was not a great at bat or whatever." And I'm like, "Ah, that's a bad matchup for him right now." Well, I looked up the numbers, and he's hitting 178 against left-handed pitching and 283 against right-handed pitching. So it's his OPS against right-handed pitching was I think it was around 790, uh, maybe 785, and against right-handed pitching, uh, excuse me, against left-handed pitching, it was in the 550s. Uh, He has not yet really figured out left on left. If he eventually does that now is where you become an all-star, right? That's where you elevate your game. You got more hits left on left. It's got 11 homers against righties. Um, You're not going to have as many homers against lefties because you don't face as many, but instead of three, you know, you do the same thing in the number of at bats. Maybe it's five or six home runs this year against lefties. And now you're on your way to, to 21, 22 on the season or something like that. So, my point is um, he's right where he's supposed to be like that. One of the last things to come for a young left-handed hitter without experience is going to be getting better, staying in, keeping his shoulder in against lefty. So uh, I was kind of encouraged when I saw a couple of those things, cause I'm looking at the numbers. It's kind of right at league average with a lot of the, you know, over the course of the whole year, OPS, some of those things. And then you say, Oh, well, there's major room here where if he starts doing this, if he could find a way to check this box, we're in business. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a guy that looks more
1: comfortable, like you were saying, and I think putting him in that leadoff spot has given him something to take ownership of, and I think part of the reason that coincides with him doing so well is what do you want in a traditional leadoff hitter is a guy that looks at a lot of pitches, is a little more selective, finds a way to get on, whether it's a walk or a hit, and doesn't necessarily always have to swing out of his shoes trying to hit for power, just find a way to get on base, and like you said, you know, early in the year, the guy was swinging at a lot of things out of the zone. And in turn, you end up behind in the counts. When you're going up there with an approach where let me just try to get on first base any way possible, you're not going to always swing at the first pitch. You're going to be a little more selective. And in turn, if a pitcher misses, now you're ahead in the counts. And like you said, his OPS goes up 200 points because of that. So I think it all kind of coincides and he just looks more confident. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, I I was told, You go talk to him for an interview, you're going to get one or two word answers. And when I talked to him, you heard it on the podcast a couple weeks ago, he was a guy that it's not like he's the most talkative dude in the world, but he seemed like he was comfortable in his own shoes. And I think part of the reason you saw some of the struggles early is this is a young guy who probably should have been still playing minor league baseball for quite some time. not saying that's the case at the beginning of the year, but the Padres kind of rushed him. You know, they had the injury with Tatis and they said, all right, dude, come up and play in the majors. And that's just not how major league baseball works. And so, you know, he got rushed to the majors and in turn, when he got traded to the nationals, they figured, you know, might as well try to learn at the big league level because you've already started everything up there. And so you've seen kind of the evolution throughout the year where things started to slow down a little bit for him. Things started to click and he started to get more comfortable. And you know, you don't usually get to see this process at the major league level. You, this usually happens in double A or in triple A, but this is something we've seen throughout the season where it started to click. And I think that's a credit to Davy Martinez and the development staff on the major league staff is seeing, all right, now he's starting to figure this out. Let's try this. And now he's starting to figure these little things out. Let's keep moving him along. And I think ultimately that culminated with him going to the leadoff spot. And I think once you saw that comfortability, added with that confidence of, I'm back in the leadoff spot and I can take ownership of it, that's when you really saw everything start to click, and now you're getting a C.J. Abrams that gives
0: you a lot of confidence going forward. He's Toby Altizer. I'm Grant Paulson. we got to thank producer Darius Dameron for his work behind the scenes on busting Loose Baseball. Remember, please subscribe, please rate, please review kindly, and we will read any comments you leave for us on BLB. If you've got a question for us, you want to answer on the pod, you can drop it in the comment section, or you can always tweet us. Toby, give your Twitter handle. At Toby underscore Altizer, T-O-B-I underscore A-L-T-I-Z-E-R. And I'm at Grant H. Paulson. For Toby, for Daris, I'm Grant saying so long. We'll be back later in the week. Enjoy Nats baseball.